He's hiding behind you. Hi, Gladys. She didn't. All right. Well, uh, we're going to stand, if you're able to stand, Galatians 5. I'd like to look at verse 31, as actually chapter 4, verse 31, and then verse 1 of chapter 5. <clears throat> we'll read those, have a word of prayer, sit down, then I'm going to actually go all the way down to verse 14 with you. We'll do a brief, uh, not review, but preview of these passages, but we will zero in primarily on verse 1. That'll be our our text verse here there's and let me preface the reading by saying this there are numerous reasons people good people good people get out of church there are numerous reasons good people drift from the Lord numerous reasons and by the way it's always important for you to understand and me to understand I'm made of the same stuff And the current of this world is constantly pushing the opposite direction of the will of God. It just is. And if if we're not anchored, if we're not standing fast, we will accidentally drift away. Uh, You'll just accidentally... Uh, there's a quote I enjoy. I, actually, I was thinking of Autumn. She brought it up after camp. And uh, she, she listened to one thing I said. Any dead fish can flow with the current. It takes a living fish to flow against it. Do you, do you remember that one? You did at least this summer, and that was awesome. I thought, that's cool. She remembered that. All right. I always get a kick out of it when somebody remembers something that I said. I get a kick out of it when I remember what I said. I... <laughs> All right, verse 31 of chapter 4, and then verse 1 of chapter 5. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the, what's the word? Free, free, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Hallelujah for deliverance from bondage. Let's pray. Father, we love you and pray that you bless the message and the service. And may you speak to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit be the great teacher in our midst. May we be attentive and have that ear to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. I truly desire to be fully surrendered, Lord. I truly desire for you to use me just as a mouthpiece. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, may you be pleased and may may we truly be edified and strengthened through this and helped through it. May it be preventive maintenance as well as edifying. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. So obviously the whole theme of the the book of the letter to the Galatians is it's grace, not works. 
if we wanted to summarize it and simplify it. I believe it's absolutely vital for New Testament Christianity to have a grip on the doctrine of salvation, truly understand it. And really, it, to have a good understanding, you need to know, you need to learn Romans, and you, really, this, this Galatian letter is absolutely vital, absolutely vital. Paul, in every church, almost every church that he started, has had to deal with uh, heretics that have come in and influenced the church and pushed a false doctrine of a work salvation. In essence, it, they were propagating that uh, works is the root of salvation. Whereas those of us who understand that grace is the root, we understand also it produces works. Works is the fruit in our lives, not the root. Hello? It's the fruit. Now, <clears throat> there are numerous things that will take place when a person begins to think it's up to him to either earn his salvation or even maintain his salvation. There are, uh, that, that road, that current leads many directions, but they're all directions of ruin. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Now, Paul has been emphasizing this over and over, illustrating it using Old Testament illustrations. He even emphasized his authority because Peter had, had backslid in chapter 2, and uh, Paul emphasizes that. So, he comes to chapter 5, and he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Now, let's think about this for the idea, the idea uh, of stand fast. That's not God's responsibility, that's mine. And so, uh, if you can visualize a little place under your feet and on your seat as the place of liberty, that's, we call that the place of liberty, we'll call that, that's grace. That's where I was saved. This place called grace, this full understanding, it wasn't up to me. It was Jesus. It was all Jesus. Paul is saying, uh, hold your ground. Stay there. Don't get pushed off that area. Don't let yourself drift away. And so uh, we move on here. He says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, because that's exactly what will happen. Verse 2, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, the Jews had come in and tried to emphasize circumcision. Circumcision is not sin, but in this he's dealing with it in the sense that the Jews that had come in were trying to make these Christians feel like you had to be circumcised to be saved uh, or to keep your salvation. They were emphasizing it in that way. Circumcision is not wrong. Matter of fact, it's, it's healthy. And so I move on here. Uh, number three. Uh, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So again, he's talking about, okay, you think you got to follow this uh, 
ritual, this law, this, uh, this uh, practice of circumcision, well, if you feel that that's part of it, then there's also, you've got to keep the whole law. Remember, if you're hanging from a chain, it only takes one link to be broken, and you fall. Remember that. So you've got to keep them all. We read on here, for I testify, uh, I already said that, for I, verse 3, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to do the whole law. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Now let me explain that. He's not saying that you've lost your salvation because you can't do that. I've heard people use that term, fallen from grace, meaning that they've lost their salvation. You, if you, if you, let me say this. If you're saved, you can't lose it. If you're saved, you can't lose it. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They're in my hands, I'm in the Father's hand. No man can pluck them out of my hand, said the Lord Jesus. Uh, Peter would say it, uh, uh, that we are kept by the power of God. Jude would say preserved Paul would say in the Ephesians, you're sealed unto the day of redemption. So anyways, multitude of verses about eternal security. But the fact of the matter is, what he's saying here is this idea of fallen from grace. He's simply saying you've been pushed off where you started. You've been removed from from what you at once believed. I think you got that. I'm going to move on here. Uh, Verse 5. We will come back to verse 4, but for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Okay, that's the distinction between those in, who are living by grace. We believe righteousness is obtained by the work of the Spirit in us. Verse 6 For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So he's, he's making light of circumcision when compared to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? And just a quick statement on that. It's, it's rarely ever a what that hinders you. It really is almost always a who. Horton and the who. It's, well. All right. I don't, there's no time to get silly. Um, but it, it's a who that influences. I got to quit saying that. Verse 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Uh, it's this, this influence. Verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. They've let it in, and it's begun to spread. Verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Paul's calling them out. He wants them to know who they... He wants them to be able to figure out, you're the one who's propagating this false teaching. He wants them to have this discernment. By the way, that's the same today. God wants His children to have discernment when it comes to error. Error. And the best way to discern error is not to learn about error. It's to learn about the truth. 
verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. What he's saying is, uh, I'm suffering persecution from the people who are filling you with this false doctrine. If I was preaching circumcision, they wouldn't be mad at me. They'd be all for me. But the reality is, I'm not doing this to please them. I'm doing this to please the Lord. Truth is more important than popular opinion. Verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. He's being very direct. And by the way, that ought to be the case in any New Testament church. If there's error being taught, it needs to be cut off. Do I have a witness? I mean, it just needs to be. Uh, Verse 13, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Well, hallelujah. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I know you read that and say, that's more than one word. Well, that's... He meant the statement there. Now, I want us to go back to verse 1 here. I want to go through that with you. Uh, There's an emphasis, this idea of standing fast. Why stand fast? Why stand fast? Well, I want you to uh, turn over to Acts 27. Don't lose your place here, please. Don't lose your place. But in Acts 27, we're going to use this little... uh, historical record as an illustration of how to stand fast and why we need to stand fast. Acts 27, and of course in Acts 27, the Apostle Paul is on a ship and he's heading to Rome. He's going to Rome, that's his desire to go there. He wants to preach to the people in Rome, but he wants to meet the Christians that are there and the Jews that are there, and he wants to preach to them Jesus. That's his desire, but it's quite the journey. It's quite the adventure on this ship. As a matter of fact, this ship uh, will go through a lot. And it seems as though early on in the voyage that there are serious problems. There's a, there's a typhoon, like almost like a, a, a hurricane weather, Eurocladon. But anyways, we come to verse 27 in verse 27 through 29. But when the 14th, 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So the water's getting more shallow. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the what? Rocks, because that would have destroyed the ship and with the... With the Uh, strength of the wind in that, these people had a very difficult time surviving. They too would have been thrown against the rocks. And so uh, they wanted to avoid that. So verse 29, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. That word wish there has the idea of prayer. Now we know Paul was praying to the Lord. (laughs) But I want to take that passage, that historical record, and I want to use it to illustrate why we need to stand fast and how to stand fast. First of all, there are some rocks 
that you and I would dash into if we don't stand fast. As a matter of fact, I can say on the authority of personal experience and people I have known that have been at one time faithful to the Lord, that had the same witness that you and I have, that, that would testify of the goodness of God, and even taught in Sunday school, and, and uh, uh, served in a good church. Uh, good people who are, in some cases aren't even in church. In some cases, they've lost their families. In some cases, they're just absolutely bitter. Something happened in their life. I'll tell you, they hit a rock is what happened. There is a, why do we need to stand fast in the liberty of Christ Jesus, this grace? Why? Well, number one, the, the rock of self-righteousness will dash us if we don't. Because if you leave the idea, not the idea, if you leave the truth that Christ saved you by his grace and it, you had nothing to do with it, if you leave that, then you are now stepping out in water, you're being pushed and pulled in the direction of pride and self-righteousness, which will lead, listen, when you're walking in pride and self-righteousness, numerous things happen. Uh, it's easy to become very hypocritical, it's easy to look down on people and become impatient or very judgmental toward people. You, become, you can become divisive because somebody doesn't believe exactly like you on every little uh, slash of the T and dot of the I. And uh, you make, listen, you can turn a, a, a molehill into a mountain and uh, 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 you, you become a, a problem maker rather than a solver and you can get irritated very easy and really you'll come to the end of the road where you discover you can't live the Christian life if you leave grace. You can't. It's bondage. You can't follow every single law if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with a holy God. The danger of self-righteousness. The rock of self-righteousness. There's a current that pushes us that way. Why? Because we are taught to be independent, are we not? We're taught to be responsible, and that's important. We're taught every parent, I believe most parents, have a desire that we raise our children in such a way that they can take care of themselves someday. Now, if you want 40-year-old Johnny living in your house and he's able to work, well, that's up to you. But most people don't have that mindset. And so we've been in, it's been ingrained in your hearts, my heart, that, hey, man, you need to work. You need to take care of yourself. I mean, have a little self-respect. Come on. And I understand that. I understand all that. And I understand that the arena where that's very important. But when it comes to the idea of salvation, friend, there's not a thing you can do about it. But fall on the grace of God. Rest in Jesus Christ. That's all you can do. You and I are welfare recipients of the grace of God. That's what we are. The best we could do when it comes to salvation is be a panhandler and say, Lord, give me. Or I'm going to die and go to hell. And I believe you're able to. 
Now, the rock of self-righteousness. If you leave grace, if you leave grace, I don't care who influences you, friend, you're going down the wrong road. It will implode. It will implode. Churches have imploded because they've drifted that direction. They become legalistic, if that's the term they want to use. Some people use that term, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Okay, there's a big difference between having Christian standards in your life and teaching that you have to do this to be saved. Hello? All right. There's another rock. The rock of fear or peer pressure. Proverbs 29, I think it's verse 28. It says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Nobody in here has to even raise their hand, but I would ask you to evaluate your own heart, maybe the people in your life. I'd ask you to evaluate this. How often have you found yourself tight-lipped because of the crowd for Jesus? You kept your mouth shut. You were a little, little bashful. You, no, raise your hand. Don't do it. Don't nobody raise your hand. Don't do it. You can nod your head. But <laughs> Listen. When we leave grace, if we don't stand fast, let me say it like this. There's always a current pushing us, pushing us, pushing us. Whether it's the current of pride or the current of fear. The current of fear. Scores of people never stand up and speak up for Christ because they Oh, they're being ruled by the world. They're just following the flow. They're swimming with the dead fish. And so, fear. Be led by the crowd regardless of what the scriptures teach, regardless of what they know to be truth. They'll even defile their own conscience because of the fear of man. They'll quench the spirit of God in their heart because of the fear of man. They'll do things they'd regret, and they're thinking oh, later on, why did I do this? But they don't have strength. They, they've let the current push them off. When he, Paul says, stand fast, I mean, he's telling them, you have a personal responsibility. There are some anchors you got to throw down. And we're going to talk about those anchors in just a moment, if you give me a moment. But I want you to see these rocks. Here's another rock. If it's not the rock of pride, if it's not the rock of fear, I'll tell you what, it could be the rock of lust, your own flesh. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, said the songwriter. I mean, our hearts are wicked. Above measure, who can know it? Do you realize the world and our heart, there's a magnet there. There's a natural magnet to the things of this world. If it wasn't for the teaching of the Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it'd be difficult for us to want to look up because there's too much to look out at. I mean, that's just the way it is. We'd be absolutely consumed with what we can get out of this life right now. 
We'd be absolutely consumed with the gratification of our flesh. And, uh, and often, listen, I'm telling you, if you don't know how to stand fast, what, what often happens is you, you, get, you either get immoral or you overindulge the flesh to the detriment of your own testimony. Even pleasures. We talked about this Sunday night. Even some things that may not be bad, you overindulge, and all of a sudden they become bad. Well, I like athletics, but, you know, to be involved in the different things, i got to miss church, can't go to church, can't go to church. Because, you know, all the activities take place on church night or church day. That's, that's the world's always going to do that. You think the world's going to make things convenient for a Christian? And as long as Christians comply, they're going to keep providing opportunities. I, I'm just telling you. It used to be Sundays, everything was shut up. Not anymore. Everything's going on on Sunday. I know I'm talking to a Wednesday crowd. You're the crazy radicals. Praise the Lord for you. But lust, the rock of lust, our own flesh. And I'm telling you, if we get... If we drift off, it doesn't matter how much we have done in the past, how much we have learned in the past. I am telling you, if we don't deliberately learn to stand fast, cast some anchors, we will drift. Either because of pride, because of lust, or because of fear, we'll drift and we will hit a rock. I could name names, I could tell stories, and that's not right to do. I did see a t-shirt that'd be kind of cool to wear. It might make people behave. It said, uh, it's for pastors, it says, beware, you could be the next sermon illustration. I thought, that's a cool t-shirt, man. How do we stand fast? How do we stand fast? Again, alluding to the story in Acts 27. They cast four anchors, so I'm going to give you four anchors. I really believe, I do believe, these four anchors will help us be steadfast in spite of the current of this world. Uh, number one, we need to cast an anchor of humility. Humility. Why would somebody leave grace anyways? I got it now, Lord. I got it now. You ever wonder why uh, the disciples had to cry and wake up the Lord Jesus in the boat? I mean, they were skilled uh, fishermen, oarsmen. They knew how to handle the boat. They'd been out in the water. Humanly speaking, they had more experience on the water than Jesus. So the Lord goes in, lays down, takes a nap, and uh, humanly speaking, the Lord was tired. I, I, I agree with that. That water started coming in, coming in, and the Lord never did wake up. I wonder if he peaked. I don't know. It got to the point where the disciples had to cry and say, Lord, don't you care? We perish. I wonder why... I want, who knows, maybe for the longest time, the attitude was, we got this. We got this. Well, you got the master of the sea in the boat, friend. Real quick, they learned. They didn't have that. But people leave grace. They leave that stance, that position, that fellowship, because 
I got it. I remember the man telling me, he said, I'm so mad at my parents. This is a man that uh, was involved in ministry. I'm so mad at my parents. They claim to be Christians, and they're not hardly faithful at all. And I I remember thinking, you sure seem rough on them, because he'd said other things about them. And it hadn't been too long since you've been in the world. But I remember him, and then I remember him complaining about other people who didn't seem to be living up to snuff. I remember, I've got a guy in my brain. You'll never see, you'll never know. But I remember him telling me, complaining to me about other people in the church, and I'm like, and I don't use this word often, but dude, do you remember where you came from? It's like he totally forgot or something. It wasn't but about a year, a year and a half later, he crashed. He, I, as far as I know, he's not even in church today. He crashed. If I met him, I, I love him, and I'd, I, I'd love him to come. I want him to come. I really do. But he's just one of many. One of many. See, just because he was here in our midst didn't mean he was standing fast in grace. See, uh, if you're going to stand fast in grace, you better anchor down in humility. You know what Paul said in chapter 6, verse 1? He said, if a uh, man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That idea of meekness, that's got a humbleness of mind. Any given day, any given moment, any given temptation, I'm telling you, we could crash. This idea of being humble, humility of mind, anchoring yourself. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you how to do that. Don't. How do you stay humble? How do you put that anchor of humility down? Learn to be thankful every day for what God's done for you. Remind yourself of the good grace of God in your life. You could have went to hell. He could have left without you. But in His mercy and divine grace, He let you see the truth. You ought to feel special. Matter of fact, there's people you know that are close to you that don't know the truth you know. You ever ask yourself, why me, Lord? Always remember to whom much is given, much is required. Many are called, few are chosen. How do I stay there? Remember where you came from. Remember the mercies that have picked you up. Remember how often you've fallen. Sometimes the guilt of the past can keep you humble, and so praise the Lord for it. Let it keep you humble. We need to anchor ourselves in humility. Nobody in here got saved by less blood than the other. It took the death, burial, blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us all of our sin. We were never worthy and never will be. 
But you know, the thing about discipline, even human discipline, and I'm for discipline, and I preach discipline, but the thing about discipline, if you don't balance it, a man can develop good habits, good disciplined habits, get up early, go to work, pay his bills, be responsible, and these are good things, and we promote this, and we preach this. And a man can be a man who's known for keeping his word, and those are good things, and we preach that. And a man can be the kind of man that when he <coughs> says he's going to do something, he does it, he develops these great habits of discipline, he becomes disciplined in his money and everything else. But if he doesn't do this, that discipline can turn to pride. If he doesn't stay humble. Because the God who gave you breath can take it away. The God who gave you your fingers and your feet can take it away. Being thankful. Casting an anchor of humility. I got to move on here. Number two, there's three more anchors we got to cover. I'll be quick. What is another anchor to keep us steadfast? Well, it's the other side of the coin, really. I need to cast an anchor of humility, but I also need to cast an anchor of dependency in Jesus Christ. Our theme verse in the personal growth class was John 15, 5. Wouldn't be a bad theme verse for any Christian. Jesus says in that verse, without me, you can do nothing. Hello? Some of us have learned that by experience. Some people will learn it. Without me, you can do nothing. Stand fast in dependency in Jesus Christ. I need thee every hour. Without you, I'm no better than an electric drill unplugged. All this potential, but useless. By the way, that potential comes from the Lord, too. Number three, how you like that? We didn't spend a lot of time there. Probably should have spent more time there. Woe be to us if we ever forget that we don't need him every hour. Continue in prayer, said Paul. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, said Jesus. Sounds to me like we're supposed to live in dependency of our Savior. Well, how do I do that? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Number three, we need to cast an anchor of authority. That is the Word of God. I want to stay steadfast, stand fast. I don't want to be, I don't want to be drifted away from the current. I don't want to be a casualty, a, a terrible sermon illustration. I don't, I don't want to be shipwrecked. I don't want my life to be ruined. And I don't want to ruin the influence that God has given me now and hinder the, the, the opportunity for people I love to get saved. Oh, I don't want to get caught up in my flesh. There are rocks out there. What do I got to do? Well... Cast the anchor of humility. Cast the anchor of dependency. God, I need you. And then cast the anchor of authority. Friend, know what you believe. Believe what you know. You know in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, this is an interesting passage. Hosea 4, 6. You all know it, right? You want to quote it together? God says in Hosea, he says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. That's what he said. My people perish for lack of knowledge. God has given us right here everything we need, everything for faith and practice.
All scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The scripture is a rock. It is an anchor. And listen, the idea of us knowing it, understanding it, believing it, what we do understand, believing it, holding it, it is our authority. So by the way, if I know what the Bible says about grace and salvation and eternal security, when I feel the push and I feel feel the pull of the current drifting me away, I can always go back and say, not according to the Word of God, friend. I don't care how much other stuff they quote. Hello? I don't care who they're listening to on the Internet. You hear me? I don't care who has been influencing them online. Right here. Right here's the final authority. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We ought to be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that lieth within us in meekness and in, meekness and in fear. Well, how do we do that? We are people of the book, ladies and gentlemen. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to learn the Word of God. The very fact we come to a church service tonight tells me you're trying to anchor yourself, anchor yourself on the authority of the Word of God. I know I'm teaching this a little bit different than I usually do, but the reality is this. The idea, the objective behind this passage is Paul says, stay on grace. Don't slip. Don't let them push you off that grace. Don't let them, uh, don't, don't let them pull you into the rocks. Here's some anchors. And they're anchors you need to cast, I need to cast, humility, dependency, and the authority right here. The buck stops here. Right here is where it stops. It doesn't matter if the president says something else. It doesn't matter if the, uh, the prime minister. It doesn't matter what, what uh, even the, the local authorities say. If they're contrary to the Word of God, friend, they're contrary to the Word of God. We're all going to meet this judge, the writer of this book, one day and give an account. Number four, number four, the fourth anchor, the fourth anchor. Look at verse six. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith worketh by what? We need to cast the anchor of charity. Charity. Now, charity is a good Bible word. We don't use it Today, the way they used it back then. Today, when we think of charity, we think of giving way to some, some nonprofit organization. We want to be a blessing. We think of charity that way. But the reality is the word charity is a noun word for love. Now there, in that reading there, in the text there, that's the verb tense of love. Love is active. Love is active. Faith worketh love. We need to cast the anchor of charity. What, so what do you mean there? Well, okay, uh, <clears throat> Kind of like uh, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. You know him? So here's the story. Before he ever arrives on the scene, there's a fellow that's traveling from uh, Jericho. He's left Jericho. He's traversing to Jerusalem. It might be vice versa. And somewhere on the road there, uh, he gets robbed, mugged, attacked by bandits. Well, they not only take everything he has, but they beat him and they leave him almost dead. I mean, they even took his clothes, just about. Took most of his clothes there. He's lying there, anguished, groaning. Oh, he's going to die. And we know in that story that a, 
a priest and a Levite both walk by different times. They look over and say, ooh, the bandits might still be around. And they take off, maybe led by fear, those guys. Or another one might have said, oh, that unclean. If he's dead, I don't want to touch him. That'd make me unclean. And so there's self-righteousness there. But this old fellow, this Samaritan, he's a Samaritan of all things. And the Samaritans and the Jews, they were prejudiced one toward another. Man, they look at each other and it's like, well, I don't want to be near the Jew. I don't want to be near the Samaritan. But this guy, he was the good Samaritan. Big difference there. And so he's coming by and he, he happens to hear this groan. He pauses his camel for a moment. And uh, he gets off his camel. He looks down there in the, in the ditch and he sees this fella. He's all beaten up, battered blood. and Oh, boy, he just looks terrible. He touches his head. You alive? The man moans, and he sees that he's alive. Well, the Samaritan, he gets some supplies and wipes some of the wounds and wraps this fellow up, and he puts him on his own camel there, and he walks him on into town. They find a little inn, a place to, that he can sleep, and he tells the innkeeper, you need to take care of this guy and put it on my bill, and the good Samaritan takes care of this. He didn't know him. By the way, he could have left him and nobody would have known except God. What, what, what motivated? He wasn't getting money out of this guy. He wasn't motivated by love. Or, I mean, he wasn't motivated by money. He wasn't motivated by fear. He was motivated by love. By love. Well, how? How does that take place? You see, the idea of grace is this. The difference between someone who acknowledges or does right and serves the Lord and lives, tries to live holy and righteous, but they also believe that I'm saved by grace, not by works. The difference between them and somebody who believes, no, i got to do this along with believing to be saved. Or <clears throat> The big difference is this. It's the difference between you going to work and doing what you have to do at work and you going home and being able to do what you want to do at home. At home, you got a family. At home, you're not getting paid to take care of people for the most part. At home, primarily, the motive is love. Well, I love my family. I love my husband. I love my kids. I, or I love my wife. I love my kids. At work, yeah, I do what I'm supposed to do. And I, I'll even do a little extra. There's extra money. They'll take care of me. But when they give me my time off, I get home. Dr. DeHaan said it this way. He was an actual uh, medical doctor before he became a preacher. And he said when he was a medical doctor serving in Grand Rapids, he said that they had a house servant. They had a maid. He also had a chauffeur. And he said uh, she worked 8 to 5. 5 o'clock, she clocked out. He said... Uh, Every now and then, we would ask her to work late, and begrudgingly, she would work a little late, and we'd pay her, and we'd give her some time off. She did her job, but when it was time for her to leave, she left from 8 to 5. 
She had lunch breaks and that sort of thing. He said, but my wife, now my wife, she, uh, she didn't work just 8 to 5, but she worked 5 to 8, but not somewhere else at home. She, she changed the kids' diapers. She kept the kids fed. She took care of the clothing. If I was to tell her, honey, I'm going to pay you to work this time, and then you don't have to work anymore. She just said no, because the kids are here longer than that, and I, I love them. See, the difference is one person's motivated by love, and the other's not. And the idea of grace, the idea of grace is to be so aware of God's goodness and mercy that in our gratitude and love for him, we're able to express it in our service and our behavior before others. That makes sense to everybody. The text moves on, and he's going to talk about the walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. But see, a person who stands fast in grace has much more forbearance and forgiveness toward people around them than the person who does not stand fast in grace. The person who stands fast in grace is more of a unifier when it comes to the cause of Christ than they are a divider when it comes to the cause of Christ. Now, I'm not making light of false doctrine. It needs to be called out. But I am making a big deal, a big deal of the fact that we need to stand fast deliberately and we need to cast these anchors of humility, humility, dependency, authority, and charity. Do people see the love of Christ in me? Do I love Jesus? Ooh. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. I didn't say that. And then he went on to say this in John 13. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. It's awesome. I like that crowd. Man, I can hang with that crowd. Yes, I can. Let's pray. Lord, bless the service. Thank you for the word of God. I pray that your spirit would help us. Help us to cast anchors. About the time we think we got it under control, we're going to start drifting the wrong way. May your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct for our invitation. We'll sing a couple stanzas. You do as the Lord leads. If the Lord spoke to your heart and you want to use the altar, you're welcome to do so. In the meantime, we'll sing a, a song here. Brother Brian.